We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. A completely different show than the one that was planned uh, earlier, uh, and that is because of the breaking news of the day. And the breaking news of the day and this podcast today is brought to you by MyBookie. Go to MyBookie.com, MyBookie.ag, use my promo code KevinDC, and they'll match your first deposit dollar for dollar all the way up to 1000 bucks. Also, don't forget to rate us and review us on Spotify, Apple, and anywhere else you can rate us and review us. On Apple, five stars if you're so inclined, and a quick one- to two-sentence review really helps us out. No Cooley on the show today. That was planned, uh, but he had a long trip back to Wyoming after five days here uh, for his friend Mike's wedding. I got to spend two days with him. We had a great time. It was great to see him. It's been a while since we've seen each other. He is one of my favorite people uh, by far in my life It was exhausting at times, but we had a great time, and he flew back uh, late yesterday. Uh, We'll see if we can get him on before the end of the week, although I know he's got a trip out west planned uh, this weekend. Uh, But uh, I also recorded an interview before before all of this breaking news with Stanford Steve Coughlin, Scott's sidekick co-host from SportsCenter, where we talked college football rankings, college football in general, and also some NFL as well. You'll hear that at the end of the show today. The breaking news came from Mike Ozanian at Forbes magazine. Mike is going to jump on with us in about five minutes. Uh, he is expected to call me here uh, at any moment. So Mike Ozanian, who broke this story that Dan Snyder has retained Bank of America to sell the franchise, Mike will be our guest here in five minutes. Now, is he selling the whole team or is he just selling a minority stake? That's the big question, and it's unclear. Hopefully, Mike will be able to clear some of that up. What the team did announce were two things. One, they put out a statement, quote, Dan and Tanya Snyder and the Washington Commanders announced today that they have hired Bank of America Securities to consider potential transactions. The Snyders remain committed to the team, all of its employees, and its countless fans to putting the best product on the field and continuing the work to set the gold standard for workplaces in the NFL. Now, Ben Standig, among among others, got a clarification to that statement as to whether or not they're selling the whole team or just a minority stake. And the statement from the team was, we are exploring all options. So, 
Upon hearing this news uh, a little while ago, uh, and before I've talked to Mike Ozanian from Forbes, I've got a few thoughts. Number one, the statement that they are exploring all options is good news because it's obviously better than them announcing that they are just hiring Bank of America to sell a minority stake in the team. They didn't say that, and they said upon a clarification they're exploring all options. So that's good news. So, you know, when I first heard it, I thought, well, you know, we've talked about them selling a minority stake for a while, ever since he bought out Dwight Scharf, Fred Smith, and Bob Rothman by borrowing money, money from the league and potentially other sources, maybe even Bank of America, um, and got the debt waiver, um, uh, the debt limit uh, waived. Uh, we've been talking about that he's going to have to raise money to pay off that loan. He's going to have to raise money to start the process of perhaps needing, uh, you know, every nickel to, to to either revamp FedEx Field or build something new in Landover. If the current situation of none of the jurisdictions giving him a penny continues to be the case, which I expect it to be, um, so uh, the. The news that they're exploring all options is good news, but it really doesn't mean necessarily that option number one for them is selling the franchise in its entirety. Selling a minority stake to pay off that debt, fund operations, which, you know, they may be having some issues with, you know, having funds go towards a future stadium. That may be option number one. They may be able to get a massive valuation even for a minority stake. Now, I wonder whether or not anybody would be interested in being a minority partner with Dan Snyder. I question whether or not there would be somebody interested in that. I think a lot of NFL teams could easily sell a minority uh, share. But working with Dan Snyder in this franchise could be problematic. But if it isn't, it's very possible that the spread in valuations, the valuation of the team when he bought out Shar, Rothman, and Smith, and the current valuation of what, say, a 40% stake in the franchise would go, go for, may be big enough that option one could be selling the minority stake. Of course, there's always the possibility that he has come to the realization that it's not going to work for him here. I find that to be tough, but there's the possibility that you know one of these investigations you know, leads to what Jim Mercer believes uh, well, could happen or should happen or should be uh, has merit, uh, as he said, uh, that maybe there will, will be a vote to oust him as the owner. And the subsequent fight and the cost to that fight for him in defending himself, maybe he realizes it won't be worth it now. Maybe that's what he's come to the realization about and will end up moving on and selling the whole team. Maybe the family doesn't want to go through this anymore. I mean, I saw Michael Phillips remind everybody that Tanya Snyder was booed at home a few weeks ago on alumni weekend, you know, with bags over people's heads, sell the team that had to be taken off, signs that weren't allowed. They've seen this. You know, they have felt it for a while. It'd be hard for them not to. So perhaps he and the family don't want to go through this anymore. Um, Or there could be something else with the loan that he took out to buy out the minority shareholders. He may be on the hook for the loan right now and need to raise the money to pay, pay it off. 
I think there are a lot of things in play right now. You know, I really do. Um, Obviously, I hope what most of you hope, and that is he's retained Bank of America to help him sell the team for, you know, $7 billion to somebody. Bezos, somebody that can afford that. And we're going to get a new owner. But I'm not convinced. It's possible that the conversation upcoming with Mike Ozanian might change my mind and I might become convinced that he's going to sell the whole team, that he's finally realized he can't you know, uh, do this anymore or he can't afford the fight with the rest of the owners. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I really don't know what this means. But it is a step in the right direction potentially. You know, you can't really sell the team without telling everybody it's available. And in most of these cases, they retain investment banks to seek out and then, uh, you know, negotiate the deal for, by the way, quite the fees uh, on, you know, a $7 billion sale. Bank of America will not only get their loan money back, um, they will get a, a, a massive commission on on brokering uh, the sale of this team. But even if they're just brokering the minority share stake, there will be a hell of a commission uh, involved as well. Anyway, um, Mike Ozanian is scheduled to call in, so that's what you're going to hear next, right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Well, the guy that got all of this started today was Mike Ozanian. Mike writes for Forbes. He wrote the story, Dan Snyder hires Bank of America to sell Washington commanders. And Mike was nice enough to make some time for us right now. You can follow Mike on Twitter at Mike, O-Z-A-N-I-A-N. So... Uh, you've obviously made, uh, a splash here, uh, in our area. And I would start off by asking you the question that was the first question that came to my mind when I read this story. And that is, has Dan Snyder retained Bank of America to sell the franchise in its entirety, or has he retained Bank of America to sell a minority stake in the franchise? I think it's going to have to do with how much interest there is and what the price would be. So if Jeff Bezos were to come knocking and say, uh, I'll give you $8 billion for the team, I think they'd strongly consider selling all of it. Uh, on the other hand, if you know 
someone comes along and offers, you know, to buy a 10% or 5% stake and they and they get uh, some cash for that that they could use to put back into the team or perhaps towards a new stadium, they consider that too. Uh, from my knowledge, from talking to people familiar with what's going on, uh, all possibilities are being explored. Uh, and I think you're going to see a lot of very interested names in looking at this team, uh, ranging from people that have been mentioned in the past, like Jeff Bezos, to perhaps even someone like Elon Musk. Wow, that is, that is a name that ne- hasn't necessarily been mentioned. Obviously, Bezos had. I want to come back to that. Why now do you think that they've I, I, decided to do this? I think... Uh, a couple of things. I think, number one, I think that they've started on a very good path of successfully rebranding the team. Now, you and I follow this both as fans and from the business side. I'm going to focus more on the business side. Uh, as much as some people may not like the name Commanders, uh, the fact is their sponsorship revenue is soaring, probably up. 30% in 2022 versus 2021. As you know, they just did that huge deal with SeatGeek, which is the richest sponsorship deal in the team's history. Um, some of this will, of course, depend on how the team does on the field. Uh, they've brought in a lot of new executives and personnel the last few years. So if I'm looking at this as an outside investor, to me, the arrow is pointing up in terms of where the business of the Washington Commanders is headed. It's a good time if you own a team to raise some capital. Okay, well, you're talking, though, specifically about him raising um, you know, capital by selling a minority stake and staying on as the majority owner, that the timing on that is, is good. But my my response would be that as long as he owns the franchise, the arrow's never really pointing upwards. So could he attract a minority shareholder uh, that would then, you know, be beholden to Dan still being the majority stakeholder in the team? Yeah, I think not only does it have to do with the price, but one of the things that's increasingly happening is that uh, outside investors are coming into the NFL because it can often lead to a path that helps their existing businesses. So the NFL, you know, we can't just look at it anymore as ticket money and TV money. It's highly valuable intellectual property. What deals does it get you into in terms of technology? What deals does it enable perhaps you to be linked with in sports betting with a company like Sports Radar or DraftKings? Um, what other doors does it open? You know, Amazon shed light on this, right, when it came into the NFL with streaming. Amazon Prime subscribers is really the goal to increase with the NFL partnership with streaming. That's the connection there. What other business opportunities could someone have as a minority partner tied to the NFL and the commanders? I think this is a growing uh, business opportunity in the NFL tying to that powerful brand. I understand that, and I think that makes a lot of sense for most franchises. I just don't think it makes much sense 
for this franchise. I, I sometimes wonder how much everybody really understands how much of this fan base is gone and won't come back until he's gone, um, which makes you know the opportunity here perhaps different uh, than other NFL markets, although obviously the demographics of this market are pretty attractive. But I want to get to what I think you are – driving towards, or at least in, and I'll try to get what you really think with respect to what will happen and what uh, kind of sale will take place. But if it is a minority share, uh, you know, that he is really looking at as option number one, will it come down to something like there being a significant spread between what he bought his previous minority shareholders, Dwight Shar, Bob Rothman, and Fred Smith out at, which I think was like $875 million, and something much greater in terms of valuation for, say, a 40% stake now, so that not only he can pay off his debt, but then he has you know funds for operations, future stadium, et cetera. How much do you think that's in play in terms of if there's a significant valuation difference, he would go uh, the route of looking to just sell a minority stake? Yeah, and I, I think that's a fair point. Um, I think that you would see some of that spread based on the fact that there's a lot of optimism on what's going to happen with NFL Sunday ticket. As you know, the current value of that to the league is $1.5 billion a year. Right. Uh, perhaps that gets to two. Uh, as you know and have talked about, there's also the possibility of the NFL doing some kind of a deal for its other media assets, whether it be NFL.com, NFL Plus, Red Zone, etc. So there's upside in that. Uh, so looking at it, if you're a minority investor, you're seeing all these other opportunities for, for an increase in value. And I think that would play into your point about a higher valuation spread for a minority stake today than where Dan was two years ago. Um, and I think a lot of that um, optimism uh, we saw with the $4.65 billion price of the Broncos. Denver, right. uh, and, and, and we saw even just with uh, the Raiders, uh, uh, I broke a story a few months ago about how uh, uh, Mark Davis had re- received a valuation of, I think it was over $7 billion for a small piece of the Raiders. So um, that all points towards exactly what you're talking about, which is a higher, much higher valuation for a minority stake today than two years ago in the commander's. Yeah, I'm I'm hearing you. I mean, the minority share stake this time would generate a lot more in terms of valuation than it did when he bought out his minority shareholders. So there would be a huge spread. So I have I have more questions for you, but I kind of want to cut to the chase right now and get your gut feel. Do you think that's the path he'll go down? Is that your hunch, that he's going to sell a minority stake, uh, generate a lot more capital than he borrowed to buy off his minority shareholders, capital that he would then have also to fund operations, to uh, build a new stadium potentially, or, or start that process of building a new stadium, especially if he's got to fund it himself in Landover, um, where the stadium uh, currently exists? Or do you think 
that, you know, it will result, this will result in him selling the franchise in its entirety. I honestly, I think it's going to come down to what offers he gets. Um, let's not forget that, as you know, NFL rules require that a managing partner, as the guy who runs the team comes in, if he buys the team controlling interest, he has to put 30% down. So in terms of the whole team, there aren't a real, you know, heck of a lot of guys that can do that right. uh, with that net worth. So that would go towards your point about leaning towards a minority stake. Um, on the other hand, it only takes one. Um, I also don't have the feeling that there's enough support among NFL owners to oust, to try to oust Dan Snyder. I don't think that, from what I've seen, that there's, you know, uh, enough there, for lack of uh, putting it another way. Um, And I also get a sense that, you know, since he's doing this and he's hired a bank, I don't know that even that, that that would that could be something that sort of puts the kibosh on any movement like that, and that he's out in front of it. Um, now I don't know the answer because I haven't spoken to him about any of this. But if I'm Dan, if I had any if I had an asset like this, and one thing people forget. Uh, Washington, D.C., and the area where the commanders sit, notwithstanding all the point you made about, you know, uh, depletion of fans and all of that, it's the highest, met- highest net worth metro area in the country. Right. In the country. You know, you're talking about D.C., northern Virginia. You're talking about an area that, unlike many other parts of the U.S., you know, if the stock market collapses... We get in a deep recession. Wall Street feels a lot of pain. Not so much in the D.C. area where you have a lot of wealthy lobbyists. You know, it's a highly coveted area. So I think that the net worth of that area is very appealing. As is, don't forget, he also owns a lot of land. You know, if you're valuing the team at $5.6 billion, like I did, there's also 260 acres around FedEx Field. There's like 150 acres around where their headquarters are. So he has some very, very attractive assets in a very, very high net worth area of the country. Oh, I don't think there's any doubt. Everything you just said is so true. I mean, we've talked about it for years. You know, despite what whatever you guys have had as valuations for teams, we all understand that that doesn't necessarily mean that that's what the sale price would be. This market is so attractive, and there's, you know, there's more um, uh, demand than supply. These things don't come on the market very often. I mean, what do you think the sale price, if he sold the 100% of the team, what would it go for? What would the value be? My best hunch is that he may not sell the entire team unless he got something approaching $8 billion. So the that would eight, be my hunch. So the market, the, the, the group of people that could pay $8 billion, you mentioned Jeff Bezos, you mentioned Elon Musk, and you said there are other names. Who are the other names that maybe we haven't thought about? Uh, you know what? I, I haven't thought much beyond a lot of others, but I'd be looking for billionaires, people on the Forbes 400 rich list. I'd be looking for names on there that of, of really 
sharp entrepreneurs, perhaps in the tech space, uh, people who would love to be aligned uh, with the brand and also the politics of Washington, D.C., and, and what's going on there. Um, I, I, the other th- only other thing I could say beyond that is that you're probably talking uh, not about a large group of people. Yeah, and right. probably if you bought the whole team, I think this would be a team, if you came in, that your minority investors, uh, you know, your smaller pe- uh, investors, people with, let's say, 2 3 4% stake, would have to be a broad range of people ranging from Hollywood and entertainment uh, to, to, to politics, to Wall Street. I mean, it would just be holes because the, the proximity of the commanders to the New York City area is also very close. You know, geography is, is, is a big part of this. You know, one of the things that a lot of some people may not realize is that the Walton family had been trying to buy the Broncos for 10 years. And, you know, when the Panthers came up for sale, the Carolina Panthers, they weren't interested at all. Why? Because they spent all their time skiing in Aspen. Right. You know, they, 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 want, they wanted the Broncos. And when you have $50 billion, you know, what's the problem with paying two, $300 million to the next highest bidder? You know, no big deal. Buy that, ski during the day, go to the game at night, no problem. Well, at eight billion, you've got to come up with two point four billion uh, in, in in cash up front, so that does limit the audience a little bit. So, I want to come back to what I think is actually the lead here. What I kind of just asked you, and I'm not sure you completely answered, and maybe you don't have an answer, and that's fine too. But your story creates this this feeling of my God, we have finally arrived at the day that we've all sort of hoped would happen, and that is he's going to sell the team. But it's very possible that he's not going to sell the team. It's possible that he's just going to raise money through the sale of a minority uh, stake in the franchise. So, Well, you could also get another scenario. I apologize for interrupting. No, but, it's, uh, it's but, fine. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to say, you know, we've, and, you know, you and I have seen this, I think, increasingly in with recent sales uh, it could be somebody that comes in and says you know i'll buy 20 percent today with a pathway to control over say the next five years right i don't know how you know how the fans but we're seeing that let's say with the national predators and the nhl we're seeing it with the cleveland guardians and baseball uh uh i i think also we're seeing it with the minnesota Tim- timberwolves and the nba um which is which is also a possibility, uh, and I and I, I get a sense that 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 scenario and again this is just my opinion may be the most likely uh, if if no great as they call a truly centibillionaire they call them in investment banking whale if no whale sure. to, were to emerge, and and then lastly uh, to your point about ownership. I, you know, you and I have been following this space for a long time. I don't, I can't recall, maybe you can, where there's ever been this many teams on the market. I mean, in North America, we've got the Phoenix Suns, Nashville Predators, which apparently in the process of being sold, the Los Angeles Angels in baseball, the Washington uh, Nationals in baseball, uh, the Ottawa Senators in the NHL, um, and, and probably also the Baltimore Orioles. I mean, you've got all these teams, and I'm just kind of 
curious, I guess, because this this is really my space, the valuations, how that could play into end up playing into all of this. I, I I guess I would lean towards as I think out loud, probably not too much because among all those franchises, right. the, the, the the commanders are such the biggest trophy. Sure. Um, but you know, one never knows. I, I, you know what, man? I look. I feel you when it comes down to the team, right? I mean, look. I, I'm. I've lived in the New York in the New York area my whole life. Both my parents grew up in New York City, so there were. They were. I grew up a huge, huge New York Giant fan, right? So when I'm growing up in the late '60s, the Giants were terrible. When I was a little kid and first started following football. And all I could ever hear about from my aunts and uncles as we sat around the dinner table talking about football was how great the Giants of the 50s and early 60s were. And I just couldn't believe it because my Giants were terrible. And I was at that New York Giant game when the plane flew over the stadium saying 18 years of lousy football, enough is enough, and fans were burning their tickets in the parking lot. I mean, people weren't going. They were burning their season tickets, and, and they wanted Mara in the worst possible way to sell that team. Well, next thing you know, you know, a decade later, they're winning the Super Bowl less than a decade later. And, you know, it was, you know, a complete turnaround of the franchise. So, you know, I'm not going to sit here and pretend I know the D.C. market as well as you because I don't. But I, I just also think that sometimes we tend to think that something can't be turned around as quickly as maybe it can if, if, if. They get a winner. Um, just throwing that out there is I, I, w- I wouldn't bury this. I, w- I wouldn't bury this team out there because because I because I've seen it and lived it as a right. as a diehard fan. I, I think there's a difference between the Maras, especially the 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 elder, much elder and and deceased Mara versus Dan Snyder. I think it's apples and oranges. I don't think honestly in the history of this town, taking politicians out of the equation, there's anybody that's ever been this despised. Um, and it's because, really, ultimately, this was such a unifier for the city. It was such, well, it, you know, from an NFL standpoint, it was one of the marquee franchises in the sport. And it has become the bottom feeder in the sport. And it's because it's been run into the ground. And then on top of that, you've got the behavior uh, issues um, as well. Look, the last two years have been this constant discussion of, will this report, you know, produce something? Hopefully this one will. Hopefully this one will. And, you know, I think there's a lot of, a lot of skepticism because it's the, you know, whether or not the owners would vote him out. But there has been this thought recently that maybe somebody in the league like Jerry would go to him and say, Look, there's only one thing you can do. It'll it's never going to work with you there. You've lost most of what you had and they're not coming back as long as you're there. And and for a while I think we all felt, you know, like what happened with you guys. All of a sudden the Giants with Bill Parcells became Super Bowl contenders and became a great franchise. You know, all the while by the way, their chief rival being the Redskins. You know, with with uh, Joe Gibbs as the coach and Jack Kent Cook as the owner. Um but it's been one um one meddlesome mistake after one toxic workplace allegation after another. It's been not only the losing, but it's been the behavior that's driven everybody away. And maybe that's the difference between where we are and where you were, uh, you know, kind of in the 70s leading up to, to the revival of, of that franchise in the 80s. Is that 
the 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 behavior has been so off-putting that people I don't know will ever embrace him. So I think there's only one solution, and I'm not sure you've answered it. And by the way, I didn't expect that you would answer it. I hoped you would, but you laid out the three possibilities: a minority, you know, uh, sale, uh, a potential staging of you know 20 percent now with a path to. Uh, 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 by you know, by the way, that's what Ted Leonsis did with Abe Poland as far as the Capitals and Wizards were concerned. Good point. Good yeah, one. Yeah, yeah great and, point. And and then you know, hopefully, what everybody's hoping for is that he just comes to the realization that eight billion dollars, uh, you know, more than offsets um, the uh, pain of losing the franchise. And by the way, may the the fight to save it and the fight to get it back may not be worth it at some point. Can yeah, you, think of anything? you know what, man? I just, I just don't know a lot more. You know, yeah. I, I wish I knew more. Oh, I'm going to try and stay on top of it, but I just, I don't have a lot more. And uh, you know, I don't. By the way, you know, you made me think of something else, which is, you know, uh, you brought up Ted Leonsis. You know, I don't know if anyone has ever asked him, like especially in the local papers down there, about the Commanders. But that to me would be a guy that would be very well suited as an owner. Um, I know his teams haven't won a lot. Uh, The Caps have won championship. But in terms of the future and building a sports empire slash platform, um, you know, he's a guy who really knows what's happening. Yeah, well, he and Rubenstein apparently are, you know, among the front runners for the Nationals. So, um, as you know, the learners are selling them. You mentioned that earlier. Anyway, uh, Mike Ozanian, everybody from Forbes. I really appreciate the time um, on a day that I know is very busy for you. I I would imagine that we will have a chance to do it again somewhere down the road. Thanks so much, Mike. Oh, no, my pleasure. Always, always uh, enjoy chatting with you and uh, hope to do it again soon. All right, thanks to Mike. Up next, uh, something I had recorded long before all of this news broke earlier this morning. A conversation with my good friend Stanford Steve on the college football playoff, but we talked some NFL as well. That's next right after these words from a few of our sponsors. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus. 
you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. College football playoff rankings, the initial college football playoff rankings are out. They came out last night, and joining me on the podcast right now is my good friend Stanford Steve Coughlin at Stanford Steve 82. Of course, Steve is uh, the sidekick slash co-host. I don't even know what you call yourself as part of Scott's show. What is your actual – I mean, it, it, do you bill yourself or do they bill you as the co-host of the Scott Van Pelt show? Definitely not. There is no co-host. There's one host. I'm a uh, a contributor. I'll be a contributor. A contributor? Okay. Well, you're a significant contributor, and of course you are the co-host of the Stanford Steve and the Bear podcast with Chris Felica. Mm -hmm. And you can read uh, Stanford Steve and all of his picks uh, every uh, late week, Thursday or Friday, whenever they're out on ESPN.com. So... Um, I actually, you know, if you've got some time, I want to talk to you about a couple of other things. But obviously the reason I asked you was to discuss these first rankings that are out. For those that missed them last night, Tennessee was one, Ohio State was two, ahead of Georgia at three. Clemson came in four, ahead of Michigan, who was five. Alabama came in six. They were ahead of TCU. The undefeated uh, Horn Frogs at 8-0 came in at seven. So... Uh, let me just start with your your takeaways from what we saw last night. Uh, yeah, I, I we started um, ranking our things, Kevin. You know, a couple weeks back, knowing that this was coming, and I I've had I've gone based on body of work because when we're in week eight nine, I still think you know Ohio State went and played their second road game last week. You know, they played their first true road game. No offense. Uh, to the people at Michigan State, but Penn State brings something to the table that nobody else did, does. And I wanted to see Ohio State in a tough environment. I went back, watched the tape against Iowa. Their offensive line didn't play well against Iowa. Now, Iowa is like no other team in the country. We know this, right? They have a great defense and a pathetic offense. But the defense caused problems for Ohio State. They only ran for 66 yards. And, uh, you know, it was a game at halftime. When, you know, when Iowa just kept turning the ball over. So I wanted to see Ohio State go on the road, face some adversity. They did show me a lot. They do have some difference makers uh, on defense, and they overcame a lead on the road. Not many teams could do it with the ease that they did and Ryan Day showed. He's my favorite play caller in the sport. Uh, I think he's just a cutthroat, man. Like he, He's going to go after you. You saw Penn State take the lead in the fourth quarter. I think it was a six-play drive, and Ohio State scores, and they never look back from there. So going into last week, I didn't have Ohio State in my top four. I, I like I said, body of work. I want. I had Tennessee one. I had TCU two. I had Georgia three, and I had Clemson four. And now after last week, I think Clemson's resume takes a little bit of a hit because of how Wake Forest looked. Now that's not their fault, but that's what we have to do when we're not all the way through the season. So looking at last night, I think TCU gets a gets a brutal brutal. Uh, take there, being behind a one-loss team, and then when they asked Boo Corrigan, the, the the you know the spokesperson, the chairman, he says when it got close with Alabama and TCU, we went with a more balanced team, and that's that's a bunch of crap to me because 
at the top, you have Tennessee, Georgia, and Ohio State. Tennessee's not a balanced team. I get it. They're number one in my book, but you can't use that argument so close in the rankings for one team and then not use it at the top. So there are holes in it. Um, you know, people saying that they do it for a reason. I, I don't believe that. I just feel like you have to realize that Boo Korg is in that room and he might not, like, he's got to be the spokesperson. He might not be in agreement with what the, re- the rankings are, but that's the agreement they came to with the committee. So there's still a lot of stuff going on. Um, I, I do think Michigan's getting in a tough spot. I've said that from the beginning. Uh, with a bad out-of-conference schedule, they have, they have a one-game season. Or I shouldn't say that. They get Illinois in a couple weeks. They get Ohio State and then obviously the Big Ten title game. But um, I think the loser of Ohio State, uh, Michigan's in a tough spot. Yeah, the funny thing is their their start to their schedule, which was horrible, um, included a win over UConn, which has shockingly played really well of late and won, I don't know, three or four games here uh, recently. Um, but, you know, it's funny, as you were talking about the Iowa-Ohio State game, I did not realize, I mean, Iowa's just one of the best defensive teams in the country, and they are completely inept offensively. In watching that game, I never mm-hmm. for a moment thought that Iowa could be competitive with Ohio State, but mm-hmm. they held Ohio State to two yards per carry, um, which is which is interesting. Yeah. And then Ohio State, you know, exploded there at Penn State at the end, which was pretty wild. So mm-hmm. I I was I, I guessed Tennessee at one before last night, but I wasn't so sure of it. But they clearly, you would agree, have the best overall resume of wins no. at this point. No doubt about it. And that's why they're number one in my poll. And that's, that's why I think there's nothing wrong to have that criteria. You have an SEC team. They've, I mean, say what you want. Early on in the year, you go to Pitt, you win an overtime game. That, that's still a good win in my book. All right? You go to LSU. Now, that's the game where everybody held in the highest regard. LSU had a bunch of players out in that game. That is not the LSU team that went to Florida and that also beat Ole Miss. So – when I think about Tennessee, I got no qualms about it. They, they beat Alabama. Uh, they have plenty of wins. What they did at Kentucky, who's a decent team, I mean, they just dismantled them. Uh, so, no, I have no problems with Tennessee at once. So, you know, in watching the show last night with, with Reese and, and all of the guys, they, um, you know, everybody kept saying, you know, Kirk says it every year with the first show, look, there's so much football to be played. And we've had these conversations yep. for the last few years running. And we, we know how much more football there is left to play and that these initial rankings don't mean much, okay, because, you know, Tennessee is going to play Georgia and then one of those two teams is more likely than not going to play Alabama, although Alabama LSU Saturday night, I, would, I think Jaden Daniels is playing really well. And I think Kelly's by far and away the best coach they've had there. And I think that could be a game. Mm-hmm. Um, I still think Alabama, the result they had against Texas A&M is, Texas A&M is damning um, because A&M is mm-hmm. bad, and they almost lost to A&M. But here's the one thing that I would say was meaningful last night, and that is this. TCU coming in at seventh behind Alabama means to me, tell mm-hmm. me if you think I'm wrong, and I didn't hear the guys discuss this last night, 
that if TCU goes undefeated, there is still a chance that they would not be in the playoff, and I'll explain. First of all, let me just say, I don't think they're going to go undefeated. You know, they've been in in deficits of 18 and 17 points in two of their, you know, four uh, ranked win games uh, that they won. And, you know, I could see them losing in Austin. I could see them losing at Baylor. I could see them losing in a Big 12 championship game. But if they were to go undefeated, we know that Ohio State-Michigan winner, more likely than not, assuming they win the Big Ten title game, and that's not a gimme this year because Illinois is a good football team, they're in. We know that Saturday's winner, Tennessee-Georgia, as long as they win out, is in, no matter what happens in the SEC title game. You would agree with that, right? Correct. Okay. So that's Ohio State-Michigan winner, Tennessee-Georgia Saturday winner. If Clemson goes undefeated, they're in. I mean, they, they just put them in at four. I think they're the one team that doesn't pass the eye test more than any other of these teams in the top seven. But them debuting at four and still having Notre Dame, by the way, who's playing better, and then potentially a one-loss North Carolina team that could be like close to the top ten in these rankings when they get to an mm-hmm. ACC championship game, Clemson would be in, correct? Uh, I would think so. I, I want to see how you know. I haven't dove, uh, you know, dove in on North Carolina with the metrics, uh, but yeah, there, it, it it looks. I I still think Carolina has a couple tricky games, knowing that their defense is suspect. Okay, but, but yes, let's say they go I, in I as a one-loss so. team and yeah. they're they're no, they're eleventh yeah. in the rankings. Clemson beating Carolina would be better than any win that TCU would have the rest of the way. So what I'm getting at is this, and I and I was surprised that because TCU came in at seventh, somebody didn't do this. Tennessee, Georgia, in. Michigan, Ohio State winner, in. Clemson runs the table, in. Well, Alabama being ahead of TCU means that if Alabama runs the table, winning the SEC title against Tennessee or Georgia, that they're in over TCU who goes undefeated because Alabama would have wins over LSU and then either Tennessee or Georgia. They're already ahead of TCU. They would stay there. So TCU would be out as an undefeated team. That's the way I see it today, which is why, to me, it was significant that TCU was behind Alabama last night. Your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, the, the old saying of controlling your own destiny, you, it's pretty evident that TCU does not. Exactly. And, you know, people could say, oh, you know, you got to win your games. But I still think, like, you know, going back to the first year, we saw Ohio State jump Baylor and, and uh, TCU that year. So they do have some things. My problem is that with LSU ranked so high as a two-loss team, where are they if they lose to Alabama? How far do they drop? Because now they're going to be three-loss, and the highest-ranked three-loss team is Texas, who just is loved by the metrics. So that's where I think the Alabama factor comes in. And the problem with Alabama, I knew they were going to be ranked ahead ahead of TCU, but they literally have a lot of questionable wins. I mean, you mentioned the A&M win, Texas win, yeah. uh, Arkansas. I mean, they, they made Arkansas sound like, you know, the Kansas City Chiefs last night on the show. That's, that's a flawed team. That's not, that's not as good as a football team. Uh, they're not even in this top 25. Right. Uh, so I, I still have questions about how this is going to play out. Uh, but for the first time, this is an Alabama team that has not played up to the Alabama standard. 
And I just don't understand when we're only in week 10 why we just can't have all the undefeated teams ranked higher than the one-loss teams. And, and you go back to that, Alabama's resume, what it's going to look like. I think those Big 12 teams don't get enough credit. Like, Baylor's already got three losses. I think Baylor's a really good football team. I would put them up against LSU. I think they right can now. beat TCU. Um, I think Texas can beat TCU. So yeah. it may be a moot point, no and doubt. it probably will be. No. But 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 TCU, if they beat those teams and they run the table, they're not going to get as much credit as they should be. That'd be an unbelievable run because you have these Big Twelve teams who I think top to bottom, I would put there's not a bad bad team right. in that conference. And if you run the table because you play everybody in that conference too, so that that's that's the different dynamic, um, you know that that I had a problem with. And the the, the boy, the Pac twelve teams are are listed. That's also a joke. Yeah, I mean, the thing about Alabama beating an LSU who would become a three-loss team and would drop, the problem is Alabama, if we're saying that they they win the SEC title, they would have wins over Ole Miss on the road, which is yeah. still to come, yep. and the Tennessee-Georgia winners. So that's going to trump no matter mm-hmm. what TCU does as an undefeated team. I don't mean to make this focused on TCU. It's just my point that I thought it was significant last night that, that Alabama came in ahead of TCU because it sets the stage for an undefeated team potentially being left out of the final four. I mean, there's so much football. I mean, Clemson could lose. Yep. I mean, Clemson, mm-hmm. Clemson could, could lose, lose an ACC week. title game. They could lose this week at Notre Dame. You know, um, yeah. uh, somebody in, in the Big Ten could lose to Illinois for all we know. But that, that, that drives my next question, which is the Big Ten. I think the eye test, for me anyway, Michigan is clearly better than Clemson. Ohio State is clearly better than Clemson when I watch Clemson. I don't think Clemson should have beaten Syracuse. I think the third and 25 bullshit, you know, late hit out of bounds changed that game. And if, if, if you don't get that, Syracuse wins that game. And that we're not even talking about Clemson at this point. They have quarterback issues. They're not that good, I don't think. I think they're okay on defense. But I think every team in that top seven – um, is better than Clemson. I think Michigan right now on a neutral field, what would they be favored by over over Clemson? They'd be favored. Oh, God. Oh, definitely. Maybe even a whole touchdown. Ohio State would be double digits over Clemson right now, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. So the loser of the Ohio State-Michigan game, to me, is going to be better than an undefeated Clemson team. But it won't matter, right? I don't think so because then they have everything they want. They have a non-conference championship winner. They have an undefeated team with a conference championship, and they can make you know stand on that 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 pedestal there. Uh, so there there is it, it, it's a it's a um, it's it's a different dynamic that they've had. But then they have their end all be all argument with an undefeated Clemson. If it were to get to that point, my wrinkle in the whole thing. And I know you have a lot of gamblers out there that like to throw some money around. What what are the odds Clemson or, or Illinois goes? What if they go to Michigan and win? And what if they beat Ohio State? They have to be in the in the college football playoff with wins over Michigan and Ohio State. Uh, th- well, I was going to go to Oregon and USC here in a moment, but um, I yep. don't I don't think Illinois can do that. I don't think they have enough offense to do it. Even though you know. Uh, their running back, Chase mm-hmm. Brown, leads the country, uh, is the leading rusher in the country. They're very good defensively. And by the way, mm-hmm. this is not – I think we had this conversation last year. 
I think it was you and me. It could have been, uh, I think Scott, more one of uh, one, some combination. I go, Brett Bielma's built for the Big Ten. I mean, the Arkansas thing in the SEC, yeah. being in the SEC West, was just too tough. But Illinois is going to become a powerhouse in the, in the Big Ten West. And it's sooner rather than later. It's really a shame for Illinois that they lost so early in the season oh. to a bad Indiana team. Um, and so that, 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 that's a shame. But I guess the point that I was going to make is I don't see them winning at Michigan and then beating Ohio State. I mean, if it happened, yeah, I mean, it would be. Exactly. Yeah. But I, I, I mean, they're a double digit underdog at Michigan, and they're a double digit underdog mm-hmm. in the Big Ten title game against Ohio State. Yeah. I just think about the headache the committee's going to have, and they really need them to lose, and they need a TCU loss uh, to help their. Helps their cause, but you know what? That's that's the great thing about this is we do have a lot. It feels like with with multiple teams in the running for conference championships, we do have a lot of meaningful games uh, at the back end of the schedule, which is just awesome. Well, there, there's going to be a meaningful game in the SEC West if Bama wins Saturday, and then and then you've got a game against Ole Miss because they're not no out of it in the SEC West, and they would go in as a one-loss team, but God, did LSU kick their ass in the second half of that game. So I think the – and I think you think this too, because we talked – before the season started, Stanford Steve picked UCLA to be a surprise fourth team in the playoff. Now, they're not going to get there because their one loss was an absolute ass-kicking at Oregon. Um, but you know, mm-hmm. I think the team. I think they have more five and six year players and good players on offense, in particular, as you pointed out. And they've had a hell of a season. If SC yeah. or Oregon runs the table, would you consider that team? USC would own wins over UCLA and then or and then Oregon in the Pac-12 championship game. Oregon would have a win against Utah and then SC in the Pac-12 t- uh, title game. And their one loss, as bad as it was, 49-3 to, to, to Georgia, you know, came on Labor Day weekend. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it, I think week yeah. one is always a bit of a head fake. Um, would you consider either one of those teams as possible teams that would jump TCU if they were undefeated? It, it dep- they need mayhem to happen in front of them. But what they also need, those they need a USC Oregon final because they don't play in the regular season, right. uh, which seems to happen way too much in, in the in the god awful scheduling of the Pac-12 every year. But that's that's the setup you need is you need those two highest profile teams, the biggest brands in the conference, with the with you know with the ball rolling. Uh, but I, getting there, I, I don't know, and and I think SC is ranked. Wait, the, the fact that they're ranked higher than UCLA is a joke. I mean, SC doesn't have – I mean, they have a win over Oregon State who is – you know, I, I put them in a category as a good football team. They're winning games without their starting quarterback, and SC shouldn't have won that game uh, against Oregon State. So when you look at SC Oregon, that Pac-12, the only way – and like I said, they need help up in front of them. Uh, they need multiple losses uh, in teams ahead of them would be – for Oregon and SC to run the table ahead and then meet in the big in the Pac-12 title game. 
Yeah. Again, let me just emphasize, I'm not bringing up TCU because my son went to TCU. I'm, I'm bringing them up over and over again because they're an undefeated team that looks like they could go Correct. undefeated and not make the playoff multiple ways. Alabama being uh, ahead of them and potentially an Oregon or a USC or even, believe it or not, even an Ole Miss. If Ole Miss were to run the table beating Bama, uh, Arkansas, and then in the Egg Bowl against Mississippi State, and then upsetting Tennessee, Tennessee or Georgia, we'd have to almost consider them as well. I don't think that'll happen. Give me somebody. Well, you've already given me Illinois. What about North Carolina? Yep. What about Drake May, who you know may be Oof. the best pro prospect quarterback in college football? I and and by the way, should be higher up on the Heisman watch. But what if they were to mm-hmm. run the table and beat Clemson in an ACC title game? Their loss would be to Notre Dame. By the way, they stink defensively. They're not a good yep. defensive team. But what would you make of a Carolina one-loss team? If, if, if mayhem, if, not over TCU, but over uh, uh, some mayhem in front of them? Yeah, I mean, there's a pass for sure. I mean, if you, you could say what you want about your defense. If you run the table over the course of a season and that shows how good your offense is to only have one loss in a game, I think it was like 45-33 yeah. uh, to a Notre Dame team that does have NFL talent. But when I think of, I see that path uh, for North Carolina, now I, I'm not sure they're going to get to the ACC title game with one loss. I still think, like I said, there's some tricky games on their schedule. But Drake May, if you haven't watched him play, man, he is an ultimate difference maker. Every throw, I, he worries me with how, how many runs he takes off with. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, he can make every throw. they got plenty of speed and, uh, and, and good guys at wide receiver. Their offensive line isn't great, and I think he compensates uh, for that. And they have two freshman running backs that are just studs. Uh, so North Carolina is going to be heard from. Uh, and like I said, if you haven't watched him, Drake May is definitely worth sitting down and watching because he has – all the goods. When you talk about athletic ability, deep ball throws, you know, quick game, uh, you know, medium. In, you know, he throws the ball over the middle of the field, which I really like, uh, which we don't see a lot with, with college quarterbacks. Uh, but he has everything on the table for sure. Uh, you agree that he's a much better prospect than Sam Howell, right? Oh, God, yes. Oh, yeah, for size alone right. Six and four. arm strength. Yeah. And – and it, but it's kind of the same deal, and Drake May's even shown more prowess. It's Sam ran for his life, you know, the, the last year in Carolina. And he was one of the guys that sort of image-wise got penalized because of what he lost around him. Exactly. You know, he, like, way, way in the weeds going back, Josh Allen. Right. Josh Allen had an unbelievable junior year, almost went pro, and came back because he wanted to work on himself. And he got the crap beaten out of him because he lost his top four wide receivers and his four best offensive lines at at Wyoming. But you know what? He came back and he took his lumps, and I think he humbled them to make the right decision. And I'm looking at other quarterbacks, uh, you know, in the ACC, just for example, you talk about Drake May. I was going down the list because all preseason, all we did was talk about there was nine guys up for, for first team all ACC quarterback. Drake May wasn't on the list. The kid at Duke who's playing phenomenal football, Leonard, wasn't on the list. And Sam Hartman is, is Sam Hartman. Yeah. Every other guy in that league at quarterback that's supposedly an NFL quarterback has played below expectation. And a lot of guys are way below 
expectation. And then you got Leary, who you know suffered an injury. Right. But Drake May, the story he's brought to the table has been awesome. All right, uh, let's wrap up the, the conversation about college football, the, at least the playoff this way. Give me the four teams that you think are just flat out the four best teams in the country. I'm not asking you to predict the the, the four playoff teams yet. That'll be the that'll be the part two of this. But who are the four best teams in the country? Um, oof. Uh, you got to put Tennessee there right now. I go Tennessee, Ohio State, Georgia, and Michigan. Yeah. Uh, who are the four that will make the playoff? <laughs> um, oh, man. Because George is an eight-and-a-half-point favorite this weekend. For those yeah, of I mean, you not you following don't have it. On, you don't have favorites on the smell test. They're going to be on the smell test. I don't know if they – I'm, I'm not sure if they're going to be or not. We'll see. Mm-hmm. Te- I can tell you this. Way. I can tell you this. Texas is going to be on the smell <laughs> test. How are they a two and a half point favorite really? at Kansas State? I don't. I don't. Yeah. I no, mean, there's, there's... that's that's insane. Kansas State was maybe has one of the most dominant, uh, impressive performances of the year with their backup quarterback against the top ten team, forty eight to nothing last week, mm-hmm. and they're a two and a half point dog this week. Crazy. But anyway, um, so who are the four playoff teams? <sighs> Mm, this is tough. I <laughs> I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Tennessee. No, no, no. I'm gonna go Ohio State, Georgia, Clemson, and Michigan. Michigan gets in after losing to Ohio State. So clearly, you no, ha- they're not. They're not going to. They're not going to get it. They're not going to get it. Okay. So <laughs> I, I don't know how we can't have. We, they they can't have two SEC and two Big Ten teams in. No, probably not. They can't. Well, <laughs> you, well, you, well, you didn't do that. You had two Big Ten teams and one SEC team. You basically said yeah, Tennessee I I... is out with one loss, and Bama loses twice, including to Georgia in the SEC title game, and so they're out. And so you just had Georgia. You had Clemson. You had Ohio State, Georgia, Clemson, and then you went Michigan. The the issue there would be yeah. a one-loss Tennessee team who lost to Georgia, who might be the number one seed, versus Michigan, mm. who lost to the two seed in that scenario. I don't know. I mean, it would be yeah. either Michigan or Tennessee I... in what you just laid out. But here's the problem, too, for TCU. Yeah, that. So if they're already behind Alabama – if Tennessee loses, you still have to put Tennessee ahead of them. Uh, yes. Yes. You know? Uh-huh. So they could be Ugh. sitting out of the title game, and Alabama could – I mean, what if Tennessee loses to Georgia, you know, 38-37, and then, yeah. and then they smoke everybody else on their schedule. Georgia, Bama runs the table, and, and Bama beats Georgia in a one-point thriller. So you've got 52-49, 38-37, and 33-31. I mean, at that point, isn't Whoa. it clear that all three teams are, are really good? Yeah. And then, the, and then two of them are going to have to play again in the, in, the, in the playoff, if that were the case. 
<laughs> of course. Man. Yeah. Hey, you know what? What other point people are going to lose their minds, Kevin? And, and, and we are so set up for this. LSU. It's the worst part. No, the worst oh. part, new part about this sport. And I can see it happening even possibly this weekend. Can you imagine one of these games, say Tennessee, Georgia, this week, goes to that god-awful three-overtime where oh the teams god. just take – it's going to happen. It's going to happen in one of these games, I'm telling you right now, and that'll be the end of that rule, uh, and that'll be gone forever. So that I, I'm really, really scared. A uh, game with that kind of magnitude is going to be decided on, on dueling two-point plays. Um, but so it's, no, it's, not, it's the dumbest TV. thing I, in I sports. It. It's the dumbest competitive, you know, game deciding overtime thing in sports. It's so stupid. When we saw the Penn State Illinois thing from last year, not that it was as significant uh, a game, it, it it ended up being, you know, it, this is all for safety, right? Nine overtimes or whatever yeah. it was later, it was totally unsafe at that point. Nobody could stand. It was ridiculous. <laughs> How did they bring that back? It, it, I, I don't know. It's wor- it, And I can't believe it. It's worse than the ghost runner on second base in Major League Baseball. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> it is. All right. Let's talk about some games this weekend. Um, so, yeah. who, so who do you let's like? Do Georgia is an eight-and-a-half-point favorite. It's possible they'll be in the smell test. Yeah. I can tell you that the public, obviously, as we know, is on Tennessee. So it bothers me um, about staying off the mm-hmm. game, but there's just something in watching Tennessee that tells me that they're going to be able to score. So I hate... Yes, and see here... Go ahead. No, go ahead. All right. Here's, the, here's what I see playing out. I think the most definite thing is Georgia is going to score on Tennessee. And when I dive into Georgia on defense, going, I watch this Tennessee offense, Every week. And with your Georgia, and now Georgia's had a nice uh, setup here that people I don't think are, are, are looking at. You know, they, they play um, Florida in a pseudo rivalry game last week, but you saw that. I don't think they <laughs> took them seriously and just, you know, just went, winged it around against them. But if you go back and be, go, look before that. They played teams like Vandy. You know, they, they played. Um, Auburn, they had a bye week in there. I think they have been getting ready for Tennessee all this time coming. And when you watch Tennessee, especially if you're a team that's going to play them, you have to be sick of watching teams blow coverages against them. So what can you do? Hi, it's do open. you have the guys to play man? Yeah. Do you have the guys to play man coverage? And Georgia has that. So And, and Kirby's a man-to-man guy. I think you're going to see Georgia – play bump and run, that really, really helps you in the screen game also. Now, when you play man-to-man, the quarterback is going to run the right. ball. You're going to give away quarterback runs, and he's good at that. But what also is going to happen when you can create pressure, which Georgia has on the defensive line, they got Jalen Carter back, is think about Hooker. He, is, he has been just an assassin in the pocket because he's right there in the pocket. He doesn't get moved off his spot. He's not a big, mobile, on-the-run, out-of-pocket guy. So I think Georgia's going to play man that, that helps them with all the switching that Tennessee likes to do. They do have versatility in the back end. They're not the best secondary, but they got athletes. So when you're, you know, your nickel position, that's mostly going to be a corner. That's going to be their next best corner where Alabama got caught sometimes being a safety or even an outside linebacker sometimes. So I think Georgia gets enough stops to beat Tennessee. My problem is, is it isn't enough more than a touchdown. 
Uh, that's the tricky spot. I think it's a dead over game. Um, I'm sure the money's going to all be on the over. But I do think I've said Tennessee the whole time for the month now. Give me the points with Tennessee. And that was when, I mean, somebody posted 11 a couple weeks ago. Now it's more reasonable to me. The other thing is Tennessee hasn't come close to going to play in an environment like they're going to Saturday. No, they've had all those games at home. Yeah, and the the LSU game was was 11 a.m. local. So I think Tennessee's up against it. I do think it's going to be as fun a game to watch. I would lean towards Tennessee in the points, but I do think uh, Georgia gets the job done. I think one of the keys to the game really is does Georgia – can Georgia stop the run with their front four and without a loaded box? Because I think Tennessee is much more versatile offensively and balanced offensively if yep. they need to be. I think they can really run the football, and that may be you know the key. Can they run it against a box that isn't loaded? Because they can't load it because they're going to get absolutely thrown over the top on. Um, and you know, we've seen what they've been, you know, they're not as good as they were last year defensively, but they're better offensively yep. than they were a year ago. Um, the total in that game is 65 and a half. What happens Saturday night in death Valley, LSU and Bama? Yeah, this is interesting. Uh, because when you look at the matchup and like I said, we've seen Al, and this is the, this is the problem with Alabama is they've been really good on defense against Texas on the road. They've been decent on the road against Arkansas, uh, you know, on defense. And they were bad against Tennessee on the road uh, on the defensive side of the ball. So what defense is coming for, for Bama at LSU? And the problem I have with LSU in this game is they've been a great story. You obviously see, you know, Kelly's imprint on that program. They're more buttoned up than they have been. The turnovers got it out of hand against Tennessee. They never had a chance in that game. Special but teams LSU, killed them in that game. Special uh, teams crushed uh, them in that game. God. And yeah, both their losses. Right. Uh, so when you think about LSU, are they built for one of these marathon, you know, SEC games that Alabama loves to play because they know they have a deeper roster than you? I mean, look at what Alabama did in coming back against Tennessee and then be right on the doorstep uh, of possibly winning that game. I don't think LSU is there yet from a roster standpoint. They got really good receivers. Daniels has been really good. But I think Alabama, a week off, I think that pass rush is going to be a lot better because what nobody will ever talk about in the Tennessee-Alabama game is Tennessee's offensive line was really, really good against Will Anderson and Dallas Turner and the and the Braswell kid from uh, St. Francis yeah. in Baltimore. Uh, Alabama goes with this cheetah package where they get the three best pass rushers on, and Tennessee handled that. But can Tennessee go on the road in that offensive line play? Well, that's another thing I want to see in that game. So going back to Alabama, I just don't think LSU is built for one of these 41-38 games against the likes of Alabama. They could do it in going on the road against an inferior opponent with Florida, but LSU, again, they got two freshman offensive tackles, I think Anderson and Turner wear on them over the course of the game, and I think they're disciplined enough where you'll see those guys not rush all the way up the field and give Daniels those running lanes. Uh, you've seen it come time and time again. Two guys run up the field. He, he splits that B gap with the open run. He takes eight yards. I think Alabama's going to be a lot more disciplined in their pass rush, and I think that's going to frustrate Daniels. He's not the most accurate guy, but he has a, a great set of playmaking tools. 
So I, I don't think LSU – I think LSU's going to come out of the box and play great, but I don't think they, they're, they're built for 60 against Alabama. So I, I probably would have to take all the points, but I definitely think Alabama wins the game. Yeah, Bama um, is a 13-and-a-half-point favorite, 13-point favorite uh, mm-hmm. in Death Valley. It's Death Valley at night, and uh, there's no place yep. like it for a sporting event. And uh, you said it right from the beginning, Brian Kelly's imprint on this program is starting to oh. be felt. It is so much different to watch how, as mm-hmm. you said, buttoned up and well-coached in the quarterback yeah. play. You, we can all think whatever we want about Brian Kelly, whether he's a nutcase or not. He's one hell of a football coach. And I, that's not going to surprise me if they, if they pull it off. Mm. Saturday night, like we said about Bama, they've got the, to me they the, the, the Texas Texas A and M is not a good football team, and they were life and death with A no. and M at home, at home, yeah. and yep. uh, not to mention the Texas game from much earlier in the year. But I do like Bryce Young more than Stroud and more than anybody else. Where are you on Stroud versus Young? Now, are you saying to win a college football game, or you're saying at the next level you think uh, you can do it? Overall, everything. There's something about Bryce Young, and I know that he is not even 5'11", or if he is, he's barely 5'11". Mm-hmm. But he, to me, is the – I think he's the best pro prospect out of all of them. I think he's a better pro prospect than, than Stroud. I think, he's the, I think he's the toughest evaluation for a quarterback going to the next level that we've seen in 20 years. Why? I because really of the do. size? Because, size. Because of the size, uh, we saw you know, him take that hit at, at um, Arkansas and, and go down with the injury. There's going to be concern there. I do worry about hanging in the pocket. There is. There's a lot of – I mean, his accuracy is unbelievable. The way he can wait to the last second – and put the ball right with his receivers. And I want to see more of that. Like uh, this week, I want to see again, because LSU has defensive line talent, and they're going to disrupt some things. Alabama's offensive line has not played well this year, but you have nine back there making all the plays. And when you look at them, it's like this Drew Brees, Johnny Manziel combination, where it's just, I'm going to make a play on third and nine. Don't worry about it. And what I think, uh, what else you're going to see is he was the benefit of having elite wide receivers last year. And that helped him out in his first year as a starter. Now, I mean, you hear Alabama fans cry about the wide receiver position. Sorry, you don't have another top 15 pick, (laughs) which you had about eight of them in the last three years. So I think the run games, I think Gibbs is an absolute game breaker at running back. I like their other running backs they have. So... I think it's a tough evaluation because obviously he has a ton on his plate making all the shots. Um, I, I don't know about the next level. Like, I, I really, I, you could sell your franchise, you know, taking him in the top five next year. I think that's a lot to ask because I do think he needs some time to get acclimated. I mean, this is a whole different world going from the SEC and playing against NFL defensive lines. Every week, uh, but I mean, I, give me one guy in the in the country to win a college football game. I'm taking Bryce Young. There's no doubt about it. Uh, I just and, and and this is the other thing. I want to see. This is where we learn about guys on the road in these environments. I held out on Ohio State because I wanted to see it last week because they didn't have a road game. Well, he was um, he know, was Michigan brilliant in Knoxville. He was incredible. Oh, awesome, awesome. And now 
LSU has better defensive uh, front seven talent for sure than Tennessee. So now I want to see it when he's going to have pressure in his face a lot more than he did against Tennessee. Uh, but the kid's phenomenal. I think he's the best player in the sport. There's no doubt about that. You see how valuable he is and how different they look. Uh, you know, that's one factor. You got to also chime in with the A&M game is him not playing. Uh, I think it's a totally different game, obviously, if he does play. That's true. But uh, no, yes. it, it is, this, 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 this breakdown of him going towards the NFL, uh, I, I can't wait to see like guys with McShay and, and what they say because the tape, I mean, uh, they say the tape doesn't lie. What he's put on tape is incredible. But trying to forecast that, that's what we've seen so many times yeah. mess up in, in this predicament with college quarterbacks going to the next level. So it, it's fascinating to watch and see how it plays out. You think Hooker's going to win the Heisman? Uh, oof. Uh, I mean, Saturday will go a long way. I don't see how he does. Correct, correct, yes. Yeah. Saturday, I mean, because now if you win Saturday, you could play well uh, in that game. And, 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 and it, I don't think, is Bryce, could Bryce still win it? I don't know. I, I don't. He's a favorite. I, I never like. I, I mean, look what look what's happened the last couple of years with the Heisman. I mean, Tua had it until the last week of the year, and then Kyler played well against a terrible team in the Big Twelve title game, and yeah. and and he wins the Heisman. So it's. I mean, people stress, love talking stress. about it. I, yeah. I can't stand it. What we're talking about the Heisman in general? Yeah, it's just the betting on the Heisman. Oh yeah. You know, I just you know, I'm not. I'm never gonna. Like, uh, what is it? Hooker's now one to one to win the Heisman. I, I, I don't want that. You know, <laughs> right. I, I don't, I don't, I don't right. want that at yeah. all. I mean, uh, it, yeah, so, they're, they're no, getting, I, yeah, like a guy like Corum could end up running past Ohio State and Illinois and end up, you know, coming out of nowhere yeah. to win it. Um, all right, let me switch to the NFL real quickly. So, okay. after Kansas City and Buffalo, do you think Philadelphia is the third best team in the league, or do you have Philadelphia in that conversation as the best team in the league? I. I have Philadelphia in that conversation. Okay, I really do. Um, I when we talk about balance of teams. I mean, look look what they do at offensive line. First of all, yep. Uh, as as well of a run game and pass protection, you have Jalen back there. It feels like every week they just say, "All right, AJ, you're going to be the guy this week." One week, Devontae, you're going to be the guy. Goddard, you'll be the guy this week. Uh, they they got great uh, versatility at running back. I think I still think. Miles Sanders is, is an awesome player do that doesn't too. get talked about. I do too. And, and now you're seeing him for a full year. He's been dinged up a lot. I don't even think he scored a touchdown last year, which is just crazy when you think about them. But the defense, Kevin, I mean, I talked to guys in the, in that, that played in the league, and I, my question is always on the back end, the secondary, who do you trust? Uh, and, you know, Ryan Clark comes in, Damian Woody, and they all think, you know, Slay is, is, is the, the best corner. Um, in the league, which was surprising to me uh, because he does get matched up on the other teams. One, he's played great this year, but that defense starts with the, with the, with the defensive line. And when I think about Clemson, and that's why I'm actually really fired up to see Clemson-Notre Dame this week if you want to talk about that one. But when I think about the Eagles, think about the guys they just roll in. You know, Redick has been unbelievable. You yeah. still have Cox up front. That's, a, that's just a game wrecker. And those guys are just so good and they're always fresh they play about eight guys and when you watch nfl across the board you know they don't they're not that deep there it's usually one of the you know biggest spots for injuries in the league and philly just with their versatility and their depth there they're getting fresh guys every other series 
And I think you've seen that in the second half. Uh, I think I saw a stat. Jalen Hurts hasn't thrown a pass uh, trailing in, a, in the second half of a game this year. To me, that starts with the defense coming out and setting the tone, whether you go on the road, whether you're at home and you want to jumpstart teams. Uh, the defensive line has been unbelievable uh, for that team to me. Uh, you, can't, you can't game plan for one guy uh, because you know, it's just, they're coming from all angles. Uh, I know Washington's up against it, but you saw that uh, with Wentz early on in that game. I mean, it was it was uh, just a, a travesty what they were trying to do offensively, knowing that guys were coming you know off pressure, off single blocks the whole game. So I, I do put Philly up there. I, I think the world of them. I said after week two uh, with Scott on our podcast, I said the NFC is going through Philly. You're going to have to go there and win. I don't care who you are. So um, you know the team start to start to be dwindling down. But that's my conversation the last couple of weeks is in the NFL. There's three teams in the league I could trust. That's it. Three teams. And those are the three teams. Now, there's teams, you know, San Francisco with McCaffrey and them starting to feel like they're getting their legs. Uh, Baltimore, I would think, is going to be a lot better defensively getting Roquan Smith, who I think is a huge uh, pickup uh, for what they've looked like on defense. So there's teams in the cups there where – it's not going to surprise me if the Ravens go on a little bit of a run or the Niners go on a little bit of a run. And those are two teams that could go on the road and win in the playoffs. But to me, the three teams at the top is, is, are the Chiefs, Bills, and Eagles. Yeah, I guess, I mean, I, I've been on Philadelphia for a year. Going back to last year, you know, that was my uh, one of my big yep. prop bets was betting them over their number. I bet them over again this year. And, and before the season started, I said, if he improves just a little bit, this is a 12-13 to 13 win team easily. Um, I think that the, the difference is, you know, Allen and Mahomes, um, which is why I would say Buffalo and Kansas City are in a category. And then I've got Philadelphia in the next category. By the way, they, they have debatably the best offensive line in the game. And you talked about their D-line. I mean, they just added Robert Quinn after losing Derek Barnett. You know, last year, yeah. they're, they're, them losing Brandon Graham was a big deal. Um, but mm-hmm. they, they, Howie Roseman has been playing chess to checkers, using that cliche, um, for, for a couple of years yep. now. I mean, the Bradbury acquisition, the Reddick acquisition in the offseason, um, you know, drafting Jordan Davis. They actually moved up. You know, they still have New Orleans' first-round pick for next year. Uh, you know, Gardner-Johnson, <laughs> uh, Slay is, is amazing. They're, they're an unbelievable football team the the thing that I've just noticed a little bit with Philadelphia and I'm a I'm a Jalen Hurts guy so I really like Jalen Hurts mm-hmm. but as an example and it's the game that I watched you know every single play of more than any other Philadelphia game if you go back you know you're not you're I know you're not following Washington closely but Washington is an unbelievable run-stopping team, number two in the league DVOA-wise mm-hmm. uh, per football outsiders. And Philadelphia had one quarter against Washington. That was it. And and part of it was set up yep. um, on a short field uh, interception uh, or, or fumble. I forget which it was. Um, but they could not run the football against Washington. And once they got a 24 nothing lead, you could see – that if you do make Hurts one-dimensional, and when I say one-dimensional, it's not just you know him throwing the football. You got to stop him as a runner as well. But if you can stop mm-hmm. the run against them, he's not a pure at this point. Even though I love Hurts and I think he's much better than he was last year, you can't just drop him back and say we're in a tight game or we're down a score and have him throw the ball thirty-five times and hope that it'll work out 
for three straight games in the postseason. I don't think you can. But I think stopping their run and making them one-dimensional is so hard, and defensively they're good. But I, I think Buffalo and Kansas City is is there. And then, and then I think Philly, Dallas, and San Francisco healthy are all possibilities out of the NFC. I'll tell you what, I don't think San Francisco, um, it, that anybody's going to want to face them in the postseason, no. home or away, if they're a completely healthy football team uh, with, with Christian McCaffrey now in the mix. I, I, it would not surprise me at all if San Francisco ends up being, you know, the NFC West champs, you know, beating out Seattle, which, you know, should happen. By the mm-hmm. way, I, I saw this yesterday. This is totally a scheduling anomaly, you know, quirk. They have five straight home games starting with a week from Sunday. They have a bye this week and then five consecutive home games against the, I think it's the Chargers, Saints, Arizona, Miami, and I think maybe Brady's in there uh, in Tampa. And, you know, with the 17-game schedule, when the NFC's got nine this year and eight road games, last mm-hmm. year it was, you know, there are going to be more runs of home games in a row. But I don't think I've ever seen five straight home games for an NFL team. That's, my, that's crazy. I didn't know that. My point is, I think they'll win the division, and I think when we get to January, San Francisco is going to be really, really difficult. And I think Dallas looks the same way because I think Dallas is, you know, along with San Francisco, are the two best defensive teams, maybe in football overall. Help. Yeah. I, I, the, the one thing with Dallas is I still want to see that offense uh, when, because there's going to be a game where your defense doesn't create the turnovers that they have. And I, I'm not, I don't know if I'm there. Like, to me, Look at them last week with Pollard getting all the touches. I know. They're a better football team with Pollard getting the <laughs> Jerry, ball than Ezekiel Elliott. Jerry they really so. are. Did you see, see, see Jerry was adamant oh, yeah. that they're that Zeke they're going to go yeah. as far as Zeke takes them. Um, I think I think a lot of us, you know, especially NFC East fans, have felt that way for two to two two to three years that they're much better with Pollard, much better. Yeah, I mean just. The game-breaking ability. I mean, you get through the line of scrimmage, and, and he's gone. Whereas Zeke still, I think, like he struggles with his first step, and I don't think there's that burst anymore. I really, I know he's gone through changes, you know, trying to change his weight and things like that. But that gear, that gear, where where, where you know you see it with guys in the NFL. There's that gear when they get to the second level, they don't get hawked from behind, and I just haven't seen it uh, from Zeke, and I have seen it with Pollard. It's, it's there, you know. It, it, it hasn't lied to me, uh, so I, yeah, I, I'm not. I'm not with Jerry on that one. But they are a fascinating thing because if they go on the road and play well, and that defense, obviously, we've seen it travel. Uh, they gave Philly fits in that comeback on that great Sunday night game. Uh, they they will be heard from uh, for sure. And the thing with San Francisco is, I just really think people forgot how valuable Christian McCaffrey is. I mean, <laughs> yeah. the guy can do everything, and now. Uh, they get a buy, and and now you bring Debo back healthy. What the hell are they going to do offensively and, and scheme wise with both those guys on the field? That that is a, a defense coordinator's nightmare to try and balance your defense. If you got McCaffrey split out and Debo split out, and then they bring one of them back in the backfield and motion it like it's just I can't imagine how happy. 
Shanahan is uh, drawing stuff up on his whiteboard this week. Cooley said the day the trade was made on the podcast, he said, this is the best trade of the year. It's not even close. People talking about McCaffrey, it's too much, whatever. It's a running back. He said, what it'll do for Jimmy Garoppolo, and because and Cooley, oh. Cooley knows the Mike and Kyle system. He played and knows, knows yeah. it very well. He yeah. said, with Kittle and McCaffrey on the field, it'll make Jimmy G will know immediately where to throw the football. It'll totally yep. dictate and make the defense pronounce essentially what they're playing. And Garoppolo needs that. And he said, it's just, it's going to be, the game will be made much easier uh, for Garoppolo. Who's the third best team in the AFC? I had this conversation with my producer on radio today mm. because Miami was obviously very active yesterday at the trade deadline, acquiring Chubb, acquiring Jeff Wilson from San Francisco after they, they made Chase Edmonds uh, part of the Chubb deal. And I made the case that the Dolphins right now could be the third best team in the AFC. What do you say? Oof, that is a tough one. It's not anybody in the AFC West, I'll tell you that. The Chargers got a lot of problems. Well, now, they got a lot of injuries. A bunch of them are, are yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I hate to say it, but if Tannehill's healthy, I would take Tennessee wow. because there's a trust there, and I've seen it. Uh, Baltimore, I can't do it yet because I need to see the defense, but I know every week Tennessee is going to come in and give you all you can handle defensively. And, I mean, look at last. I know it's the Texans. Yeah. But everybody in the world knew that Derrick Henry was getting the ball all game last game. Amazing. And he goes out and puts up that performance. Uh, they, they continue to do things uh, offensively that aren't the prettiest, but they're effective, man. And I just feel like teams aren't willing to do that. And when you think about Vrabel and, and getting to know him a little bit, just the best dude in the world, and will do whatever he has to do for his team to win games. And, you know, you see that as a trickle-down effect from what Belichick is scheme-wise. But he doesn't care what it looks like. He wants to go out and get Ws. I think I'm, I'm really excited to see uh, what they look like against Tennessee. Or I should say against Kansas City, just defensively. Because they've lost some guys, too, on that defense. I think Simmons is the most underrated player uh, on the defensive side of the ball. Totally the agree. Sure. Totally. I think he's the, I think he's uh, the second-best defensive tackle behind Aaron Donald in football. I, I, I could I could be right there with you on that argument, uh, but you know they're probably not going to win, especially if Willis has to play again. Right. But I just want to see what they do defensively because they've had some success uh, in not stopping Kansas City. They're not going to stop them, but they they can slow them down. And uh, I do think uh, I'm really I like what Kansas City did defensively and making changes. I still think they're working through uh, who their best guys are, but I I give them credit for for making a commitment to. To getting better on the defensive side of the ball, knowing you have to have that in the playoffs, and you saw them get burned with it last year. So um, it, it's really, really fun stuff. Uh, but I, I really think the idea of some, uh, yes, you know, we talked about San Francisco going, being able to possibly go to Philly and winning. That's a possibility. I just, I mean, that freight train of Buffalo. You know, you're going to have to go there in the playoffs. Yeah, that 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 that's going to be up against it because. They're probably going to put them in a night game also, so that weather is going There's to be only you know, one double. team that can uh, win that game, and it's Kansas City, and it's Mahomes. Okay. I, All right. 
I don't see Buffalo in January. <laughs> By the way, you're probably right. They're going to put them in the night game Saturday um, yeah, or Sunday night. And I just can't see that environment, anybody but a team with an unbelievable quarterback going in and winning the game. Mm-hmm. Do, who, who do you – Yeah, I know. I, I, I mean, do you think Burrow could go in uh, and win that game? Do you think Lamar could go in and win that game? Do you really think we already saw what Tennessee what it looked like with them on Monday Night Football in Buffalo earlier this yeah. year? Uh, and yeah. and um, Tua would be overwhelmed. Although that's why Miami with Waddle and Hill, there's just God mm-hmm. they, and and they their defense is good and they can run the football. There's something about the Dolphins that I just think is intriguing. Even though I'm not really sure what to make of Tua. I still think they're working through a lot of things offensively. First thing in that system, uh, you know, I thought they looked – I mean, they went down early against Detroit. I know it's Detroit, but they came right back and had answers every series after going down 14 nothing. I don't think they can go to Buffalo. The one team, if they get healthy and they get right, Chargers. that could go there and win, I know – no, I think, I think Baltimore could do it. Okay. I really do. All right. Uh, I, I, I do I, – I, I trust that um, – and I think they're only going to get better. I think they're going to go on a little bit of a run here. Uh, I really, I mean, you like, your, or Cooley said he liked the McCaffrey. I think Roquan uh, and, and then Patrick Queen there, I think that brings a lot of versatility to a defense that have shown some holes. Uh, I think their young guys at end are good. And then Calais has been banged up. Uh, that's a, I, I'm really fired up uh, from the Monday night game with New Orleans because they're a pain in the butt to play against. And uh, I, I just have a feeling that, they need Andrews, obviously, healthy. But I, I feel like Baltimore is, is on the cusp there. Of, I think they got punched in the mouth a bunch of times with those brutal second-half losses early in the year. But I think they learned a, a bunch about themselves. And that culture that, that Harbaugh's created there is, is second to none when you think about you know getting your team where you need to be when you get to Thanksgiving in December. Uh, I'm, I'm fired up to see uh, the, the, that playoff because that I still think the AFC North is, is just awesome. Because you know there's general hatred towards those teams, and they're all built so differently, uh, and they're not afraid of each other. You know, talking with people with the Bengals, like I knew Monday night they were going in. They they can't beat Cleveland the way that the, the way that matches up with them, and and the way Burrow has been, you know, holding on the ball too. I know everybody talks about the whole line, but he's held on to the ball too long, and then without Chase, that was that was a great uh, setup for an upset. So. I think that's that, – I mean, look at Cleveland's losses. And, and you think about, you know, the difference in a record and a perception and what they might be with a different quarterback. Uh, it's just – it's fun stuff. And that's the stuff I like about the NFL season. I don't want to talk about how bad Tampa looks. I don't want to talk about how bad Green Bay looks. <laughs> I want to talk about teams that have the potential. So uh, that, that's where I am with that stuff. And obviously the commanders are uh, in a big spot. we got the black uniforms this week. I'm sure everybody's fired up for that. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah! Everybody's really fired up for for the black uniforms. Uh, the, you know, the, the, it's Kirk Cousins coming back to DC for the first time since he That's left. Right. Um, you know, I'm kind of with you, by the way, on what you just said because early on, I was like, "Wow, it's like Atlanta's really interesting." They were supposed to be literally one of the two to three worst teams in the league. Seattle, the same thing. The Giants, yeah. to a certain degree, and Arthur Smith is you Absolutely. know did did such a great job, you know, with Tannehill in Tennessee. He's doing the same thing with Mariota in Atlanta, and the division's totally winnable. You mentioned the Monday night game. Before the season started, I thought the Saints, and I thought it was because Jameis was going to have 
a big year. And they had, you know, they had drafted um, Alave and and they had uh, Thomas coming back, and they have a good defense, you know, in general. And Dennis Allen's a good defensive guy to begin with, and they're still yep. alive. I mean, they're better with Dalton. I don't think there's any ba- uh, doubt about it that they are better with Dalton, and I don't think he's sitting down until they're out of it at this point. Um, but, yeah, I like that part of it too. Like, you know, the Giants, the Jets, the Seahawks, the Falcons, some of these, you know, stories. On Baltimore, real quickly, I said this a few weeks ago. They are such a great organization, and obviously being 35 oh, miles okay. to the south for all these years, it's been like – you know why? Why you know we we've got the most dysfunctional situation in sports, and they've had one of the yeah. most functional situations in sports. But I do think that Harbaugh and this reliance on some of these you know young analytics. I don't want to get into the whole analytics thing because I think it's totally useful information. Nope. But I think context matters, and I think there have been so many times when he has just outsmarted himself. And I and I I worry about that in a big spot him pulling the trigger on something that's based on historical numbers and him ignoring uh, the context of the situation. Um, I still think that Jamar Chase, when he's back and healthy, that Cincinnati's oh. the best team in that division. I I do, but a lot of football left. Mm. All right, last thing: you and Scott this yeah. year have been you know making NFL picks once a week, and you have both been doing. Yeah pretty well with them right uh-huh yeah yeah he's been he's been we give one pick a week and uh you know it's something new where we were allotted uh to be able to use nfl footage if you can imagine that talking gambling so uh we just take that and run with it and uh let's let's make some picks on the on the game i think he has two losses or one and i have three um uh, one his first loss though i just said he was started undefeated and i just said all right i'm just taking opposite of you go. So you go first. And I ended up winning on that one. It was Carolina and San Francisco a couple of weeks back. So the host was not happy. I'm thinking about pulling that on him again, uh, 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 tonight, uh, seeing how he won again. And, um, and he's been, I mean, all you gotta do is ask him, you know, when he's doing well, he'll tell you. you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Uh, so what is your pick this weekend? Your NFL pick? <laughs> Oh man, I it's I, I think I think the Dolphins. Everybody's going to take the Dolphins. No, I'm going to take old reliable. Um, Belichick eats alive young quarterbacks. I love Sam Ellinger. I loved him in college. I don't think he's an NFL starting quarterback, and I think he's up against it. Uh, the Colts have been the biggest disappointment in the NFL to me. I'm going to take the Patriots and lay the five and a half. Yeah, I had the over on their win total this year with Matt Ryan. I thought it was going to be a – I'm very disappointed. I thought the Colts were going to have a good season as well. Um, I had them last week laying three against Washington. Uh, but um, the biggest deal uh, – well, you just said something, actually. Uh, let me not forget what you just said. Sam Ehlinger played really well last week. He really threw the ball well, which was yeah. surprising to me. Um so New England laying the five and a half, <laughs> Belichick eating up Sam Ailinger. That's your pick. All right, this was fun. Yep. Uh, as always, um, let's do it again soon. At Stanford Steve eighty two on Twitter. 
watch and uh, you know watch everything he does with the Bear Chris Felica on television and on their podcast. And there's nobody better talking football, uh, not just college football, but pro football, and you know, sort of helping to look forward to the NFL draft, which we will do with Steve uh, down the road. All right, thanks, appreciate it. Thank you, Bud. All right, that's it for the show. Thanks to Steve. Thanks to Mike Ozanian. Uh, I'll be back tomorrow with Tommy, probably with a lot more information.